Hello and welcome to another edition of Sunday Stories, where we tell the stories of the people who make North Church Guthrie such a special place to be. I'm your host, Corey White, joined this week by our guest, Derek Whitehorn. Derek, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Oh yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, let's start with asking the question I pretty much ask all of our guests. What do you do at North? Well, uh, we've been going to North now maybe eight months, and uh, I am a, a part of the parking lot team where we uh, park the people as they come in. And uh, so far, that's it. I plan on getting on the uh, the prayer team also. Right now, I am on the parking lot team, and that's it. How, how did you end up coming to North for the first time? Who invited you? Well, uh, nobody invited me, but... Uh, I'm originally from Guthrie. I moved away from Guthrie when I was 13. I moved back to Guthrie with a family uh, about three and a half years ago. So I was about 29, 30 years old. And uh, my wife and I, when we moved back, we were looking for a church home. And uh, I really didn't consider, you know, looking here in Guthrie. We thought we'd end up in Edmond or something. But found out about North Church being here in Guthrie and that Hetty was the pastor. We've been knowing Hetty for some years, so we – like, yeah, we definitely got to check it out. And uh, from there, we've been going here. Yeah, Hedy. He, yeah. he, he, a lot of people, I think, come to this church because of him. He's just a just a force of personality, isn't he? Definitely, definitely. What brought you back to Guthrie uh, in your adulthood? Well, I now that I'm married and I have a family, I started thinking about raising a family. I know that uh, before I moved... Uh, away from Guthrie at 13, uh, it seemed pretty boring as a teenager. But uh, now that I'm older and I thought about raising a family, I, I really felt like raising my family here would be better than raising uh, them in Oklahoma City. When I moved to Oklahoma City, I ended up in a lot of trouble. And uh, not to say that you automatically will end up in trouble in the city, but I just felt like Guthrie was a better place to raise a family. Why? Why? Why, why is it a better place to raise a family? I would say uh, there's less of a of a of a a violent history here. There's less of a gang history here. There are uh, small portions of gangs here, but uh, where I lived at in Oklahoma City and the the, the things that I got into, uh, I was more likely. You're more likely to run into those things and be influenced by those negative crowds in Oklahoma City even more so. So you move out of Guthrie at 13. Tell me the trajectory of your life. Where do you, where do you go from there? Okay, so uh, I come from a single-parent home. Uh, my mom, she moved us to Oklahoma City at the age of 13. I started going to Hefner Middle School. And, uh, you know, initially for like the first year, I stuck to what I uh, usually did, which was basketball. Um, I've always liked to rap since I was small, so I stuck to basketball and rapping. But uh, at the age of 14, uh, my summer, uh, after being a freshman, started being uh, involved around more uh, people that were into gangs in Oklahoma City. Uh, so from there, at the age of 15, I was initiated into a gang and uh, lived life as a gang member from ages 15 to 21. And 21 was the age at which I truly got saved. How did, what does that look like 
uh, to get initiated into a game. Can you can you elaborate on that? Yes. Yeah, so uh, getting initiated into a gang uh, involves uh, fighting into the gang, being jumped into the gang, and uh, that's exactly how I got put on the gang. I had to go. I had to meet uh, certain members at a certain location and fight them in order to be initiated into the gang. Was that something that like, was to me, I'd, I'd be terrified to get into a fight. I'd be like, no, 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 no. Yeah. But was that, was that something that, I mean, did natural for you? Not natural. It's not the way of word, but, or was that outside? I mean, is that something that you were a part of you yeah. at that time in your life? Well, uh, yeah, I had been into a few fights, but of course there was still a certain level of nervousness knowing, you know, you're about to go and fight these people and uh, really didn't know them that good at the time. So I didn't know, you know, to what degree they would take it. So there was some nervousness and uh, I actually prayed before I went because, uh, you know, I knew right from wrong, heaven to hell, uh, Jesus versus Satan. Since I was like eight years old, I had an encounter with Christ when I was eight that was so supernatural that I knew, you know, that he was real. So I, I prayed before I went and said, uh, God, please don't let me die living this life. I know this is not what you would have me to do, but the people, they've already called me, told me to meet them at the spot, and I kind of, I was kind of intimidated as far as uh, backing down. It wasn't like they forced me, but there was still a certain level of, uh, nervousness as to how would they feel if I said I didn't want to. Yeah, you're you're kind of locked in at that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean you, it'd be worse for you probably mm -hmm. if you said I'm backing out of this. Then you know you're kind of locked in. Yeah. I, I want to. There's a couple areas that you said that I kind of want to dive into. But tell me about that that experience when you were eight. You said you had a supernatural experience with with God and and yes. Jesus. Tell me tell me about that moment. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> growing up in Guthrie. Uh, in my early childhood, every summer we would go to a uh, vacation Bible school, and I believe it's South Point Baptist Church. We would go there every summer, and uh, they had a great uh, vacation Bible school program. Uh, that particular year, I remember that at the end of uh, vacation Bible school, you know, they opened up to allow, you know, children to surrender their lives to Christ. And uh, I remember in that moment, just really feeling the presence and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit as as uh, concerning things that I knew I was doing wrong as far as lying at times to uh, authoritative figures. Um, by that time, I'd probably stole candy from other kids and stuff like that, uh, stole a few bicycles with other kids in the neighborhood. And uh, I was convicted about those things. And I, I said a prayer and, you know, I asked Jesus to uh, come into my life and to save me. But uh, I didn't have the fruit to follow. I, I'll say that in that moment, I was convicted, but I went home and, and went back into the same stuff. But from that day forward, there was nobody that could tell me that Jesus wasn't real because I knew that the conviction that I had was uh, truly from the Holy Spirit that day. Yeah, being saved is is only part of the equation, right? It's mm -hmm. you still you still have to transform your life, and that's something a choice that all of us have to do. Yeah. You. What uh, you were twenty one, so when you got out of the gang, mm -hmm. what caused you to to get out of the gang? What what, what was that? Uh, what was that experience? What, what what forced you to say enough is enough? Okay, so uh, the year I got put on when I was fifteen, I used to always uh, 
say, uh, I plan on changing by the time I'm 30 because I knew that even if you live the gang life, if you live to be 30, by that time you pretty much get to settle down uh, and you're really not concerned at that point with making a name for yourself in the streets because by then you've either made a name for yourself or you were considered a nobody. So um, a lot of people ask me, was it the fact that I had I had some friends that actually died uh, in the in the gang life uh, and a lot of people, they would assume when they talk to me, oh, it must be, it must be because you had some people that were in your circle who uh, were killed. So, uh, you know, out of fear of you being next, you gave your life to God. But that's really not what happened. Um, uh, you know, I had lost friends uh, before 2009. But by the time 2009 came, it was like the Holy Spirit kept on bringing back to my mind the fact that, you know, I used to say I'm going to change when I'm 30. So at 21, it was like God was telling me, what if you don't live to be 30? What if you don't live to be 30? And I really know it wasn't me considering it myself. I knew because that same presence that I felt when I was eight at Vacation Bible School, I could feel that convicting presence again. And I knew in that moment that God was telling me, it was like a week straight that I was going through this. Couldn't sleep at night or anything. But I knew it was God telling me, surrender to me now because I'm, I'm giving you the opportunity to get right with me and then if you choose not to, from this point, whatever the consequences are, you'll have to deal with them when you face me. What was it like leaving? I, I, it probably wasn't easy. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great question because uh, a lot of people know when you decide to leave a gang, it can go uh, whatever direction the gang members decide to take it. So with me, after I surrendered to the Lord, I said to the Lord, I said, now that I know that I'm right with you, I'm going to go and tell uh, the main leader that's over me, and whatever happens, happens. I have rest in my heart and peace within my soul because I know I'm right with you. So uh, I talked to the to the main uh, older guy that was uh, over my section of the gang, and uh, when I told him, I said, hey, man, I, I'm surrendering. I'm, I surrender my life to Christ, and that's who I'm living for, so... I'm done with the gang banging. I'm done with the drugs. I'm done with selling drugs. Everything that's not of Christ, I don't want anything to do with it. And he, he said, hey, man, I respect that. He shook my hand, and he told me that, he said, hey, my dad is a pastor. And he said, I know the truth, but I struggle with it. But I, I, I respect your decision. You know, go on and, and be the leader that God created you to be. And that's what it was. Wow, that's <laughs> that's powerful. Yeah. I mean, yeah, moment. Yeah. 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 What do you? What advice do you give to young people who are in that situation and and maybe could, uh, you know, because there's that moment where you're you you could go either way. Yeah. You, know, you could be, fall into that gang life. Yeah. Or you could fall into uh you know stay out of that gang life. Yeah. What, how do you counsel young people? What advice do you give them for those who are stuck in that type of situation? So this is what I I tell them. Uh, first and foremost. The, the the image that society and uh, the worldly rap industry is painting is it's a facade. Um, it leads to nothing more than destruction. And a lot of the people that are rapping about this stuff, they haven't lived the life. But the industry profits off of influencing young uh, people to get into the street life because then you go to jail, they make money off of you, uh, you know, 
or you end up in a grave and they feel like there's one less heathen on the streets that we have to deal with. So so first thing I would tell them is it's all a lie. And at the end of it, uh, if you if you choose that life and you and you stay in it, there's only uh, a few options you have. And that's uh, to end up in jail, in the grave or permanently uh, physically damaged. You know, you may be paralyzed from being shot or anything of that nature. So what I tell them is uh, Jesus is the truth. Uh, he has uh, your best interest at heart. And uh, it's best to surrender to him to avoid all the, the heartache and chaos that comes along with uh, living a life of uh, deception uh, in the gang life. Well, you said you, you are a rapper. You, uh -huh. you rap. Uh -huh. uh, and as you just said there, many, much of hip-hop, yeah. not all of it, but much of it glorifies that life, as, mm -hmm. as you say. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about that when you, you think about your life before your life now, mm -hmm. and then you still have this passion that you've had your entire life, which mm -hmm. is, and I'm sure you still have that, yeah. which is a passion for rapping and hip hop. How do you, you know, how do you reconcile those two things? So, um, now that I'm a Christian, I consider myself a Christian rapper. I kind of, I kind of make a distinction. Not everybody does between hip hop and rap, because uh, hip hop is more than just the genre of music or rap, but it's like a whole subculture. But as a as a Christian rapper, uh, and still having the passion for rap, the way I look at it is this. Um, it's about the content within the message, and it's about what spirit the person is of. So since we have so many people out here who are using it for the detriment of uh, the listeners, now using it for the glorification of Christ is, is a powerful tool. Uh, a lot of these kids, they just looking for, you know, what's trending, what's popular, what's cool, and what'll make them look cool in front of other people. But uh, a lot of times when they find out that there are good Christian rappers who uh, have a great skill set, and at the same time they're pushing a message that can uh, uplift the community, uh, a lot of them can be affected by it. I've known people who have been convicted and uh, surrendered to Christ through a literal song ministering uh, the gospel through rap. Mm -hmm. you know. And we had uh, Preston on months ago, Pizzo, and yeah. he, uh, you know, we asked him that you can reach certain uh, demographics yeah. that other Christian artists can't reach. That's so true. Right? Yeah. Uh, like a, a Mercy Me or, a, you know, a Lauren Daigle. Yeah. There, there's certain demographics that you as a Christian rapper are yeah. going to be able to uh, to maybe uh, minister to that they wouldn't be able to. Yeah. And uh, if I could speak on that briefly, uh, I used to be a part of a ministry after I got saved. Um, the second ministry that I was a part of, which was out of state, they were totally against Christian rap. And uh, the ministry was very legalistic, but um, after a while, it influenced their viewpoint on that, influenced me enough to where... I had stopped Christian rap for like seven years, and uh, sometimes I'd be on YouTube and hear about uh, people posting Christian rap songs, and I would like comment in the comment section. Sometimes I would uh, speak against it as far as me not agreeing with it. And a lady, you know, several testimonies uh, were used to kind of soften my heart and God to remind me, like, no, I gave you this ability to reach a certain uh, group of people. And a lady, she shared on there, she's an ex-military lady, she said that she was suicidal. 
She was addicted to prescription pills. Uh, she had lost her family, I think. Her marriage uh, had health problems, and she was ready to end it all. And she said uh, she was somewhere one day. She heard a Christian rap song that ministered directly to her life. And from there, she ended up uh, getting born again, uh, filled with the Spirit of God, started a ministry for uh, suicidal and drug-addicted people. I mean, now her ministry is seeing uh, lives saved uh, uh, year after year, seeing people who were suicidal and on the verge of committing suicide uh, restored, healed, and made whole in Christ. And those type of testimonies really started to affect me because I'm like, you know, her whole thing was, don't speak against something that God used uh, to snatch me out of the hands of the enemy just because you don't agree with it when there's no clear scripture that speaks against it. And uh, from there, God began to deal with my heart again. Uh, I began to make music, and I, I began to have people to come to me, you know, sometimes in tears saying, man, that song was what I needed to know that I still have hope in Christ. Do you have music available? Are there people who are interested? Where can they find uh, you? Yes, I have music available. Uh, right now, the only uh, platform I have music available on is YouTube. We'll have it available on more sources soon. But my YouTube channel is Mana Manoa 405 So Mana is spelled M-A-N-N-A, then space, M-A-N-O-A-H, and the 405 is connected to Manoa. So Mana Manoa 405. Is that your, your stage name? Uh, Man of Manoa is my stage name. Yes. Okay. Can yes. you uh, can you give us a little preview? Give we'll us a do. give us a preview. Can you can you spit some for me? <laughs> I, I'll definitely do that. I'll tell y'all what my name, how I came up with the name first, and then I'll okay. give y'all some bars. So, uh, Mana, as we know, Mana was the the bread that came down from heaven uh, to the Israelites when they were in the wilderness for forty years, and uh, the word Manoa means a place of rest. So the way I look at it is. God has given me bread from heaven uh, to feed people in this wilderness of the world that will bring them into a place of rest. So that's how I came up with the name. So uh, now for the bars, I go ahead and give y'all some bars. <clears throat> uh, Jesus is the king of kings in actuality. He has authority over every principality. He's the engineer if you have any technicalities. If you don't learn, you burn to the body, you cal calories. Don't live cowardly. Because death is the wages of sin and the devil's company pays hourly. I won't let them devour me because Jesus is the breaker. In other words, I know where the power be. So when the storms come, the light still stay on. I'm going to be with Jesus regardless of what they own. Get the picture like crayons, fam. They should want the king, but they go for the green like Draymond fans. They duped by the witchcraft like seances, claiming they woke, but they in a coma and they conscience. No sense of real value in they content. So like a 95-year-old, I give them my five cents. Better yet, two cents don't, be a mean, don't mean to be a nuisance. Just trying to tear down these walls so I have room to vent. Put an I-N in front of that. I would, no lumberjack. God works it out like treadmills and jumping jacks. On fire like I struck a match. With God's help, Satan couldn't jack my lantern in the pumpkin patch. On fire like I struck a match because of God, Satan couldn't jack my lantern in the pumpkin patch. Yeah, that was good. Thank you. That's awesome. Where do you uh, come up? How do you? What's your process for for coming up with rhymes? Do you so, have a process? So my process is I usually, if I'm in the studio, I hear a beat, and if I really like the beat, almost almost automatically. I begin to hear words 
So I don't write the words down. I listen to the beat. And then as I hear the words, I'll come up with the hook in my head. Then I'll record the hook. And then while the beat is still playing, I'll come up with the first verse in my head. And once that's complete, I'll lay that first verse down, so forth and so on. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, what uh, do uh, do you do? You perform? Are you are you yes. out there? Do you uh, do you like performing? Is that something? Yes, you enjoy? I do. Because uh, when I do, I really enjoy the time in between the songs where uh, I'm able to allow the spirit to flow and God to use me to minister uh, to people's direct situations. Because you never know, you know, who's in the crowd and, and what they may need to hear. But just those moments of being open, open and 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 available to the Holy Spirit, it it allows for it to be more than just music. You know what I mean? Just leading into the song when we break down the concept of what the next song is about, and then apply a a, a spontaneous life lesson or a word that God may give us in between the songs. I believe it makes the song that much more powerful once you uh, minister the song to the people. There seems to be kind of a budding, uh, good a good, a good group of of in this community, or I shouldn't say Guthrie, Guthrie, Oklahoma City, and even maybe I could Tulsa of of, of Christian uh, um, rappy rap mm-hmm. rap artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's do do you is there a community? Can you build that community? Are there things you do? Do you do you all have a community, or is it pretty separate? Right now, uh, it's still kind of separate, but there is being progress made. Um, me and Pizzo, we just uh, was involved in an event uh, this past Saturday by a group called Banging for Jesus. And uh, they had one of their artists, uh, Jetty Apostle, he just had a album release party Saturday. And uh, they're very uh, adamant as far as connecting and locking arms with other brothers, other Christians as a whole, uh, and definitely with other Christian rap artists. And I see there's starting to be more unity than what there has been. But in times past, it's been pretty separate. But uh, it's a blessing that we're starting to be more unified. Mm-hmm. How about you? What do you, what do you, what does your day-to-day look like? So day-to-day, <clears throat> I'm a husband, uh, a father of five children. We just had a, a, a our fifth child two months ago. And uh, besides that, I work at a juvenile bureau. Um, since 2012, <clears throat> I've been working there. And uh, when I moved to Georgia, the end of 2015, moved away for a year and a half, came back and started working at the Juvenile Bureau again. Um, I was a detention officer. Uh, at the moment, I'm working in maintenance just because I took a break from the detention area. Right. I should be going back to the detention area as a detention officer either at the end of June or early July. That has to be a tough profession, uh, being a detention officer. I just, it's one of those positions I just, I would, I don't think I'd have the fortitude for. Uh, you really have to be, I think I, I, you have to be a certain type of person to do that and to yeah. do that well. Yes, definitely, because you are tested and tried daily. And, uh, you know, you do a little bit of everything. You break up fights and just all kind of stuff. Sometimes you find objects in there. And, uh, sales that they shouldn't have. So, uh, yeah, you really got to be uh, called in that area. But I, I usually have a good rapport with the children because I come from the streets. And uh, with that, some of the young kids in there, their uncles uh, may know me. They've 
some of the kids they kind of know a little bit of my history through my testimony, so they really they really gravitate to me and respect me for the most part. Five kids. I mean, it's it's a it's a wonder you have time for anything but that. Yeah, uh, you must. You also must have a, a wonderful wife. Yeah, don't you? Let's uh, start by telling me about her. Yeah, so I met my wife uh, in 2009 at the first church I was attending after being born again. She's great. You know, what I mean, she really holds it down with the children homeschooling because we homeschool, so her day is just as busy as mine. She, uh, I really respect my wife. I really, I really respect mothers and wives as a whole because, you know, I've had times where I'm at home with the children and my wife is out for a while or having a day to herself. And, you know, before that, I kind of thought, oh, you know, it's no big deal. You're at home all day. But no, this is a, this is a, uh, it's probably one of the toughest jobs because you have to, Corral, situate, figure out, take care of, save, keep from hurting, keep from harming, keep from <laughs> seriously injuring themselves 24-7. When you're asleep, if something happens, you got to jump right up. You know what I mean? So so I respect and love my wife for all that she does. Not only that, for a woman to push out another uh, human being in birth, any man who experiences that, you gotta you gotta respect women, hands down. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily for you and I, we don't have to experience exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, it's I can just imagine when your wife is away and you're watching the kids, it just turns yeah. into Lord of the Flies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the white horn household. Yeah. Yeah. What about your kids? Uh, how old are they? What ages are they? So my oldest is Derek the second. He'll be nine, uh, July 19th of this year, 2021. My second, her name is Serenity. I only have one daughter and four boys. My second is my daughter. Her name is Serenity. My third is uh, Zephaniah. He's four. My fourth is Zachariah. He's two. And then our newborn, my fifth is Nehemiah, and he's two months. Uh, Derek, he's very uh, observant. He pays attention to everything he's very structured in the sense that if we say we're doing this at such and such time he's there johnny on the spot he's ready and if and if we don't it throws him off he he's very uh order oriented so i love that about him at the same time he's strong-willed so he's the one that my wife has had the challenge with uh he's a, he's a great child but uh you know in times that he has to be disciplined my wife is like, uh, you better come get this boy because <laughs> uh, it's about to be a problem. <laughs> so that's him. Uh, Serenity, my daughter, she's like the second mom of the home. She's the little mom. She's always checking on everybody, making sure everybody's okay and they have what they need. And she's very, very loving and giving. And uh, she takes care of us. She takes care of me. She uh, She's the initiator of the daily massage I get she'll have all the other children come come on it's time to give dad a massage so I really enjoy that my wife she's kind of jealous because she doesn't get a massage as often as I do uh Zephaniah he's the cool kid the the four-year-old he's he's the one that's hip and you know he's got the style and uh he's he's also funny he's got a great sense of humor and then Zachariah he's the boss the two-year-old 
as in most homes, he's the loudest. Uh, everything belongs to him. He argues with the the soon to be nine year old, the seven year old, and the four year old. But uh, he's another great one. You know, what I mean, he he uh, he loves to snuggle. Uh, my wife and and myself. He always wants us because he's the you know he was the baby before the baby. But uh, with him, you know, he he knows the answer to everything and. And if it's not what he thought to do at the time, then it can't be right. <laughs> Nehemiah, uh, two month old. I will say this about Nehemiah: he uh, he nurses more than any other baby we've had. He is the he's the biggest. He was nine pounds fifteen ounces. Our third uh, Zephaniah, he's the second biggest. He was nine pounds six ounces. So uh, Nehemiah, of course, at this. This age, he just wants to eat all day. And uh, if my wife gets more than, like, two feet away from him, no matter whether he's awake or asleep, it's like he automatically pops up like, wait a minute, where where's mommy and where's my food? <laughs> <laughs> did you always want to have a big family? Was that in the plan? Or did this just kind of slowly materialize until you look back and you're like, wait, we have five children? <laughs> yeah. So um, before – being born again, I didn't think about it much, but when I was in the world, I, I, I pretty much figured I'd probably have about three children. But uh, after really surrendering to the Lord and then getting married, I thought that for a while too. Uh, I was like, we'll probably have three children. But once we got to baby number three, my wife and I both were like, uh, I don't think I don't think I'm ready to quit. So so uh, we said that, but then later on, while we still had three, we was like, okay, we'll at least take a break for now. So my wife, she got on, uh, she had got an IUD, which is a type of birth control, and uh, she still ended up getting pregnant <laughs> with number four. So with that, you know, she uh, she was volunteering for a place that was like a Hope Pregnancy Center, which is, uh, you know, they have young women come in who may uh, have ended up pregnant out of wedlock and stuff like that, and they encourage them not to abort their babies and tell them, you know, there's different options. She was volunteering for a place like that, and she was going in every day, and she was just feeling quite different. And uh, they were like, hey, uh, why don't you take a pregnancy test? She was like, nah. It's like, I'm not pregnant. She's like, I got an IUD. And, you know, you get that changed out like every five years, and there's like a 00 zero two percent chance or something like that so not even one percent chance less than that that you get pregnant with an iud and they were still telling like take one anyway so she took a pregnancy test and almost passed out she was like oh my goodness i'm really pregnant again so uh she she got the birth control removed and after having um that was yeah that was baby number four after having baby number four we was just like lord we'll just Looks like you you're not ready for us to stop. So we we yield to that and we celebrate the fact that there's another life you want to bring in. So that's how that happened. We'll just make it an actual literal handful. <laughs> like one, two, three, four, five, five fingers. That's yeah. what we'll do. So are we we're gonna have to saint your wife, by the way, right? She 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 <laughs> she, has she applied for sainthood yet? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> when you were going through those uh, in that maybe being presumptive, but there were certainly some struggles mm-hmm. um, when you were in the gang life, yeah. I, I would imagine. And, and there's some moments probably where like you even admitted, I, 
you know, you're you're 21. You're like, I may not may see the next year. I may not see yeah. 30. As you look back and you look back now, can you believe the place you're in right now? Yeah. If it wasn't if it wasn't me knowing who's responsible, it would it would it would seem unbelievable because uh, when you get into gang life, you become somebody that you may not have necessarily been you know, before getting into the gang life. And uh, just looking back, you know what I mean, all the different stuff I, I went through and uh, some people that would have considered me their enemy and to see that God preserved me and allowed me to make it out of that life, man, is, is, is very amazing because uh, you really don't have uh, a lot of people make it out of that life in the sense that they either end up dead or in jail, either for life or a very long time. And I look back, man, I see many a times where I could have died, you know, being at a lot of different parties and me and my friends end up getting into fights with people and, you know, guns get drawn, people start shooting at each other. And and the fact that I ended up in that situation so many times and not only did I not, uh, you know, end up murdered, but the fact I never ended up even getting shot is 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 is, is mind-blowing to me. I remember one time uh, my friends, they went to a party and my mom, for some reason this time, she really, she was on me like, I'm not allowing you to go anywhere tonight and you don't need to leave out of this house. And I was about, I was 17 at the time. And uh, man, I remember hearing the next day about how the party was and how it got shot up. And like the shooting happened inside of a building that was rented out. And they said everybody, it was like a lot of people were lined up against the wall. And they said as as the guy began to start shooting, he ended up shooting. It was like one space that was blank. And it was probably about two feet wide where nobody was standing. And they said that area was shot up. And, and I just really felt like if I would have been there that night, that's probably where I would have been standing at. Because it was odd the way everybody explained it. And it was just like, it was just one area, you know, in the dark where there was a space enough to where that area got shut up. And, you know, when I got saved, I looked back on that, and I, I could just see God saying, I preserved you. That's the that's the spot where Satan wanted you to be standing that night. And, uh, you know, me putting it on your mom's heart to really emphasize you not leaving the house that night is uh, what preserves your life. And that's just many. I'll share one more briefly. I remember there was a guy that was from the gang I was from. He had been murdered. And this was like the same year in which I got initiated in the gang. I was I was 15. Uh, we was all standing outside of an after hours club the the weekend after that. And uh, it's guys out there from different gangs that didn't like the gang I was from. People started getting into it, getting into fights. And it was pretty dark outside. But I remember looking behind me and there was a rival gang member probably standing about seven or eight feet away from me. And when I turned around and looked at him, I'm sure he had a gun in his hand. It was pretty dark, so I couldn't see. But it was almost like something grabbed his body and made him do an about-face turn and walk off. Years later, when I got saved, I was in a in a service, church service, in praise and worship. Not even thinking about that time, but God took my mind back to that time. And it was like I could hear the Holy Spirit saying, he was there to kill you, but I turned him around and made him walk off. And, man, I just broke down in the service like nobody else knew what was going on. But in my heart and in my mind, I could see God saying that to me, man. And it just it was amazing. 
Wow, that's powerful stuff. I think uh, it's probably a good place to end it. Do you want to you want to close us out with another uh, another rhyme? Yeah, I can do that. All uh, right. Well, let me. Uh, I'll, I'll close this out, and you can do that. That's okay. Derek Whitehorn. Derek Whitehorn was our guest this week on Sunday Stories, presented by North Church Guthrie, and I'm your host, Corey White. All right. So uh, I'm not a better, but the guy that I serve is the best. I am a debtor to the one who came down in the flesh. Check out my lecture. The texture of my words are pressed. Impressed on the harder to hear as you full of pride. It's harder to hear it hard in your heart and your spirit. Pardon my when I'm spitting. Got to make it hard to forget it. Their attention spans are shorter than frigidy midgets. They hold the truth back like seatbelts. Click it a ticket. Animated like Jiminy Cricket, Anime and Ike fight the conviction. David Banner type strife with a Christian. They hate the candlelight and light and they living. We be fuller than MC Hammer's wife. I like how we living. God gave me my better half like a gift with a ribbon. Chickens was in my grill, but she was the grip rib I was missing. God gave me my better half like a gift with a ribbon. Chickens was in my grill, but she was the rib I was missing. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Sunday Stories. We'd love you to follow us on Facebook or Instagram. North Church services are live streamed on Facebook or YouTube. Or you can join us for a live physical service every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11. North Church Guthrie services take place at 2219 Woodlawn Avenue, just off of I-35 and Highway 33. We'd love to see you there. And as always, love God, love people, and follow Jesus. God gave me my better half like a gift with a ribbon. Chickens was in my grill, but she was the rib I was missing. And that's it.